Hello, strangers, and welcome to the Strange Horizons podcast for April 6th, 2015. I'm your host and fearless leader, Anaya Lay. Before we dive in, I have a little bit of news to share with you, and it's that in case you haven't heard, the Hugo nominations for this year were announced over the weekend, and Strange Horizons has once again been nominated for Best Semi-Prozine. Thank you to everybody who submitted us for the nomination, and congratulations to our fellow nominees. Now, back to business. This week's podcast is Noise Pollution by Allison Wilgus. Allison has worked in comics and animation for over a decade and is currently writing nonfiction graphic novels with first, second books. Her prose has appeared in three anthologies from The Sockdologer. Noise Pollution is her first professional short story sale. She lives in Brooklyn. Now, settle in. Let's begin. Noise Pollution by Allison Wilgus I'm not an idiot. I don't leave the house without at least one set of juiced-up double A's. Two, if I remember when I'm putting my purse together. A minute is enough time for a spell to fall apart, and if you think you can find a bodega and buy a pack of batteries and swap them in and get your tape rang again in less than five, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And that Saturday, I'd been so good. I'd been a real responsibility champion, one set in my bag and another in the pocket of my coat, just in case I was mugged. Though, come to think of it, a mugger would probably be enough of an asshole to take my Walkman, too, so I'd be in kind of a tight spot either way. Anyway, I'm not an idiot, but I can't really pay attention to more than a couple of things at once, either. I've got no problem with keeping one ear open to make sure the cloak song's running while I'm on the train, or at the store, or, you know, doing normal things like an adult is supposed to do. I can leave my apartment. I'm not one of those people. But sometimes, it's three or four things. Sometimes, a punk-ass kid wants to haggle with you over an unopened 10-pack of Type 2 BASF Chrome Maximas, and you're on the phone with your goddamn choir director, and your Walkman runs down while both your earbuds are out. And you don't notice right away. And then, the noise comes swooping down on you like a summer storm, and you've got problems a whole truckload of responsibility batteries isn't going to fish you out of. I was late to choir, and look, I get why Lucille, she's the director, been there for fucking ever, I think she remembers when the gaslight was still open. Anyway, I get why Lucille was so pissed at me for being late. She specifically asked me to join because they needed a contralto for the new antiviral arrangement, and now they were sitting there at church with a couple dozen kids who'd been dragged out of bed to come, waiting on me to scramble across town. And yes... I kept a church full of sick children waiting. I'm awful, I know. Sometimes a lady takes a few minutes to finish putting her face on, and she misses the F train. I took an earbud out as soon as I got above ground at Delancey and called Lucille to say I was only a few blocks away, because, again, I'm an adult. The least I can do is let the woman know where my tardy ass is. And she's all like, 
Cheryl, this is the kind of nonsense that got you dumped from the last choir. And don't think a big voice is a first-class ticket to the all-about-me train. And something about community spirit, which I gotta say is pretty fair. I mean, it's not like this was the first time I'd pulled this kind of bullshit. And you know how things get around. Like, there's more of us musical folk than there used to be, sure, but we're still pretty fucking few and far between and all up in each other's business. And it's not like you can blow off basic civic duties without everyone else hearing about it. Not even if you move from Philly to New York. Me and Lucille, we met three days after I got off the bus at Port Authority, and she already knew my whole sorry-ass story and all the dissonant details. Anyway, she was letting me have it. I was pretty much letting it slide right over me, and the cloak song was still playing nice and smooth. Pretty standard Saturday, and if it had stayed that way, I wouldn't be telling you any of this now. That's about when I saw this kid sitting on a pink grandma blanket at 7th and B, right outside Tompkins Square Park, and maybe an hour or two out from emptying some poor yuppie's apartment. You know the type. White boy dreads, shirt for a band that broke up before his ass was even born, Probably hasn't showered in a year, and by the look of him, I figured he'd either gone off his meds or got stoned out of his mind, or both. He's cross-legged in the middle of the usual crap. A coffee maker, sweaters, an iron, couple pairs of sneakers. Whatever he'd been able to cram into his backpack and couldn't swap for cash at a pawn shop. He looked maybe 15, and I was thinking he's probably some kind of kid from Long Island whose parents finally kicked him out for being a little shit. On a normal day, I might have called him in and given a description, just in case the cops took a break from hassling brown folks to do their fucking jobs. But Lucille was nag-nattering on about sheet music, and church was still a couple more avenues away, and I am telling you now, I swear I was going to keep walking. But then, I spotted those fucking tapes on the blanket, and I just could not help myself. So I guess now's the time for the urban musician, everyday carry rundown, huh? We're getting that out of the way. Okay, look. I'll make do with whatever Type 1 TDKs I can find for cheap on eBay in a pinch. You know, for ticky-tack household stuff. I've left a pest control loop playing overnight on cheap tapes, and it's worked well enough. But for my cloak song, Type 2 BASF ferrochromes from before they moved production to Korea when I can find them. AC biasing is fine, but no Dolby noise reduction. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. The pre-emphasis weakens the range of the spell. Everyone knows it. Sometimes we're snobs for a reason. I think I've laid down maybe 10, 12 different ward songs on quarter-inch ATR master tape, you know, different variations for different seasons, a couple specialty tracks for when I'm going to fly somewhere, all pretty standard stuff. Dub off a new copy whenever a cassette wears out. So it's not like I'm tearing through tapes, but shit, they don't make the Chrome Maximas anymore, and this kid was selling brand new unopened tapes with the early 90s formulation, and I'm not one of those superstitious audiophile assholes, but like, I keep saying, I'm not an idiot either, and those tapes are amazing. Of course, there weren't price tags on anything in this kid's sidewalk felony sale, so I had to ask how much he wanted for the tapes. And he must have seen a hint of, oh, fuck, must have these on my face, because he got this kind of desperate, hungry look and tells me they're ten bucks each. I just about kicked him in the head right then, because, seriously, he's selling this shit off a blanket in the East Village. 
I should have been able to hand him a five and walk off with the tapes and a couple of Cosby sweaters, right? I'm pretty far into the red on my dick-around time at this point, and Lucille's all like, Lord, Cheryl, are you shopping? And my 83 Walkman DD's still cranking through cloak songs smooth as you please, so I yank out the other earbud, cold drop Lucille in my purse, and I tell this kid I don't care if he built a time machine and brought these fuckers straight here from 1994, it's 20 for all of them or nothing, and he's lucky I'm still standing there. And that's how I ended up haggling over tapes while my batteries ran out and my song stuttered and stopped. So look, I don't know about your grandma, but mine loves to gripe about the old days, back when we had to keep a choir going up on the wall every damn second, no matter the time and whatever the weather. Back when you'd either be stuck at home with the same jokers you've known since you were born, or out with the tone deaf singing under your breath like a crazy person and hoping no one called the cops on you. Hell, even if they did, you'd damn well keep singing in jail, too. Keep that shit going every second, every day, or the noise is going to find your ass. And then your family gets to decide how long they're going to keep feeding what's left over. Kind of garbage situation, really. But that's just how things are for the musical, right? Even nowadays, everything we do is all tangled up in the noise. A whole auditory ecosystem of aging analog equipment and chrome tape hordes, all of it so we can snug up in our safe little song blankets and hope the noise doesn't notice us. And normally, it doesn't. That's civilization for you, right? That's progress. But it sure as shit noticed me that Saturday. It came screaming down St. Mark's like an angry cloud of every sound that sets your teeth on edge. The frothy, boiling mess of it poured between the buildings in a raucous slop of toothpaste foam. It sloshed neck deep around the normal folk out doing their weekend brunch crawl. And fuck is that creepy to see. Their little heads sticking up above the mess, their sunny faces grinning through a sudsy swarm of murderous intentions. Lucky them, the noise doesn't give a shit about the tone deaf. But ooh, yes, it cares about the musical. Cares about chewing you up and swallowing down your songs forever. But now that milkshake churn of soul-munching trash is about half a block away, I'm in heels and not really much up for running on a good day, and even if I could swap in new batteries and get the tape running again, it's a little late to keep the noise from finding me, isn't it? So I hunkered right down, back up against the kid's rip-off miniature flea market, and belted out the first defensive baseline that came to mind, one of the catchier ones Mom taught me before she let me walk home from school on my own. I got the last measure out just in time to snap a wall up over my head, and the noise pancaked about ten feet off the ground, a kind of shaving cream slop that poured down the arc of my hasty tone wall and snarled like glass in a garbage disposal. And look, I'm real good. There's a reason Lucille puts up with my crap, and there's a reason it took my old choir in Philly so long to kick me out, even with all the drama I pulled. I'm a stone-cold diva badass, and I can hold back a yowling tsunami of whipped death all on my own, please and thanks. But, you know, like, actually canceling it out? That's something else. And there's only so long I can get away with battle serenading on the sidewalk. The tone deaf can't really hear the noise, but they can sure hear you just fine, hollering at an empty sky like a lunatic. If I'd had a chance to really stop and think about it, 
I would have slammed my phone against my full head and told Lucille to come bail me out. She was a couple blocks away. She had a whole choir with her. They could have saved my ass without breaking a sweat, and Lucille would have loved every second of told-you-so superiority over my irresponsible behind. But I wasn't exactly in the pocket, logic-wise, at that particular moment. And let's be honest. I'm not a huge fan of told-you-sos from folks in general, and Lucille most especially in particular. Sunlight shines right through noise. It's all part of the weird there-not-thereness of auditory creatures, so I could see the kid's face just fine when I turned back around. And I was like, Hey, jackass, you sing it all? I mean, hell, he liked music enough to know the shit on his blanket was worth stealing. I figured he should make himself useful. And for a sec, he just stared at me like I was a total whack job, which, hey, was about what I'd have expected. But then he kind of cocked his head and said, You can see that cool whip shit in the sky? You can hear this? Right? Right? What the hell? So I picked my fucking job, and I'm like, uh, sure, yeah, I can see it. And of course, I'm wondering what's up with him, because he shouldn't be able to see squat. And it's not like I'd ever run into this punk at the musician co-op meetings, if you know what I mean. But hey, time was kind of tight just then, and every second I wasn't singing, the shield above my head thinned out. So I'm like, kid, you gonna help me out or what? And he kind of blinked those dishwater eyes and said, sure, why not? Seriously, just like that. Crazy lady wants to teach me to sing while a shrieking taffy cloud's trying to eat us? Sure, why not? So I belted out another verse of barriers before launching into the quickest, dirtiest tone lesson of my life. Looked like I was right about the secret musicality of that kid, too. He listened all crazy, tight-jawed, and tense while I looped back through another round of my shored-up song, his eyes right on me even as the noise churned around us. Even as the dingy brownstones and the scraggly park and the gawping brunchers were all drowned out by the shook-up soda white of the noise trying to punch through the wall I'd made. Then that fucking kid opened up his pimple-ringed mouth and a sweet, clean tenor soared right out of it. Perfect pitch and every syllable just so. Even though, you know, it's tonal, he couldn't have had even half an idea what the hell he was singing. By now he must have been drawing a crowd, but the noise was bubbling and boiling and kicking up a racket like a bucket of parrots. So I threw back my shoulders and raised my chin and belted out the rolling rich tones of kicking ass. The most powerful song I knew. The kind that makes you feel like your throat is on fire. The kid was keeping my tone wall in place. So I dug down deep into the song on my stomach and threw my full voice into tearing that bastard apart. Have you ever been in a fight with noise? Not a full choir. They basically pulverize the thing in a measure. I mean a real brawl, where it has a chance to squirm a little. No? The only thing I can think of is, well, picture a volcano erupting down out of the sky, only, the lava is made of white-hot marshmallow fluff, and the sound of it's worse than anything, like a whole percussion section being crushed into a dump truck while a pack of cats are fucking on top of it. It's unreal, but you gotta hold on to your melody like the lifeline it is, your one and only way back out of this lobster pot of shrieking, screaming fury. The kid choked on his own song then, and the tone wall shimmered around us. I looked back at him, 
half thinking I'd catch him trying to sell the damn tapes to someone else while I was busy. But he wasn't looking at me, or at the tapes, and his hands were shaking, and he stared at the sky looking fit to piss himself and run. So I'm thinking to myself, I don't have any idea what the hell's going on with this kid, but with this much angry noise piling up on top of me, I can't stop singing for more than a phrase. I snapped my fingers in front of his nose, not a real high-content way to talk to someone, but enough to get him to look at me anyway. I met his eyes and stopped my song long enough to say, Don't leave me hanging. And I swear, he just swallowed his freak out right down and sang out even louder than before, so hard that he ripped a kind of raw, ragged edge to that bell-clear baby voice. You know that moment when a little kid sings for the first time? When it's like you can see their song flowing into them? When they go from being some poor little tone-sensitive critter to a real musician, with a voice that'll let them make a place for themselves in the world? Like, sure, being all full up of song is what lets the noise find you. But it's worth it because you're like, finally all the way you? I tell you, it's one thing with the kids, but watching that happen to this almost man who's maybe had kind of a hard time of it, like, I was watching it all kind of click together. Everything he'd been through, all the shit he'd seen when no one else could, a decade and change of being some kind of feral musician with no one to help him make sense of it. All of that sliding into place right there behind his eyes. Fuck me, that was something else. I sang and he sang, and the noise stretched and swelled like a spongy ceiling above us. Our voices were a boxer's fists, one knocking back the beast and the other punching it full of wet, gaping holes as it wailed and fought like a fox in a bag. I shifted my song a little, wrapping the tone wall up and around it, hugging that fucker nice and close before I lay in with all the fight and fierceness I had left in my gut. And then, soap bubble sudden, it burst and fell. A snowfall of shed sound settled on the barrier above us. The kid and I finished our stanzas and stopped. The city sounds of cars and pigeons and window ACs rose up and filled the sudden silence. I looked around at the crowd we'd gathered, maybe a dozen or so curious folks with nowhere urgent to be. A few of them applauded. I think an old man tossed a dollar onto the blanket. Within a minute or so, they'd all wandered back to whatever they'd been doing before. I mean, hey, this is New York. Mostly people just want to keep their heads down and deal with their own shit. As the sidewalk emptied, the tone wall over our heads broke apart, and the kid and I kind of sized each other up while tiny flakes of noise settled in drifts on the sidewalk, clung to the hair and necks and faces of the toneless all around us all set to become little fragments of shit music lodged in their heads for the next few days. I popped in a couple of fresh batteries and got my cloak song spinning again. The kid just kind of stood there watching me, like some poor nerd at a middle school dance, standing and waiting for someone to tell him what to do with himself. Then I heard Lucille's tinny voice calling my name. I'd forgotten to hang up the damn phone. I lifted it back to my ear, already apologizing, but she shouted me right down. She wanted to know who'd been singing with me. She wondered if maybe I'd bring him to choir. Hey, kid, I said. You got anywhere to be? 
He grunted something that I took for a no. Any chance he reads sheet music? He didn't, but that was fine, too. He was obviously a fast learner. Leave this shit here. You won't need it, I said. Except the tapes. You grab those motherfuckers right now. I mean, it's like I said. I'm not an idiot. Welcome back. This story was super fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. I really liked the voice of it and the world building and the whole adventure. And it's so neat to find a black market in vintage cassette tapes. I was a kid in the 80s and the 90s, and I remember collecting them and my dad sneering because they didn't sound as good or last as well as vinyl, and they were an inferior medium, and CDs kind of ended that argument, but uh, this story really played on some of the nostalgia there in a really great way. What caught your attention about the story? Go to the website and leave a comment, either on the podcast or on the story itself, and let us know. While you're there, check out the rest of this week's content. The poem is going to be Ekphrastic 25, The Foxwoman, by Jen Grinigan. One last note before you go. Strange Horizons is an entirely volunteer organization, supported by donations from our fans and community. If you would like to support us, check out the donate link on our website. That's all for this week. Until next time... Stay strange.